0: Hi, Beowulf here with Justice Matters. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. And that takes time. It takes effort. Angie, however, has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie.com and connect with and hire skilled professionals that you need to get the job done well. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps, or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your specific area, right in your neighborhood get started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I or download the app today the app and website is free to use Angie.com that's A-N-G-I Angie.com it's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirchner Donald Trump has finally been indicted for trying to overturn President Biden's win in the 2020 election. Glenn says he was lucky enough to see his arraignment firsthand.
1: Well, former President Donald Trump has been criminally indicted again. So, not surprisingly, today's Justice Matters episode will focus on the new Trump indictment and the charges he faces. We'll talk about the co-conspirators who are identified, at least in substance, in the indictment. And we'll talk about Donald Trump's first court appearance in this criminal case involving his attempt to overturn a presidential election, his attempt to deny Joe Biden his rightful election win, his attempt to unlawfully and unconstitutionally retain the power of the presidency, in short, his attempt In a very real sense to end American democracy. You know friends call me crazy but I think Trump ought to be held accountable and he will be. I also want to talk about the first court appearance, Trump's arraignment on this new indictment because I was in the courthouse and I got to see it and I want to talk about what that hearing involved. You know, I got to see the defendant and the parties, the prosecution, the defense, the judge got to hear the arguments that were made by the attorneys and how the magistrate judge responded to those arguments. I got to see and hear all of it, not in no small part because I got to spend 10 hours waiting in line in the federal courthouse in Washington. DC to get one of the relatively few seats not even in the courtroom proper, but at what we call the overflow Courtroom there was a four-camera feed from the very small Arraignment courtroom in which the hearing was held into two adjacent courtrooms and we did get four camera angles of what was going on in the arraignment courtroom proper and I want to talk about what I saw And what I heard, and friends, maybe as you can tell by this long preamble, one of the things I want to focus on today is the need, the absolute need, the non-negotiable need for cameras in the courtroom, in the federal courtroom where Donald Trump will be tried for his crimes against the United States and against we the people. But let's start with the new indictment against Donald Trump. For those of you scoring at home this would be his third criminal indictment how in the hell did we get here friends trump's third criminal indictment now you will no doubt recall his first criminal indictment was in new york state court for dozens of felony crimes involving falsifying business records And of course, it wasn't just any business records he was falsifying. You know, he wasn't just, you know, trying to cook the books and keep a little bit of money for himself, maybe not pay Uncle Sam or the state of New York how much they were due in taxes. No, no, no. Donald Trump was committing felony falsifying business records, crimes to hide hush money payments to a porn star. In the run-up to the 2016 presidential election what was trump trying to do well he was trying to hide from the american people from the voters deeply damaging information about his suitability to be president of the united states in a very real sense by committing those felony crimes by falsifying those business records by hiding, by secreting from the voters deeply damaging information, thereby robbing all of us of the full value of our vote. And for that, Donald Trump has been criminally indicted in New York and is pending trial. That's indictment number one. Of course, indictment number two is a federal indictment. Down in Florida, again for dozens of crimes, dozens of felonies, involving in substance his theft of top secret documents of national security secrets of national defense information which is what gives rise to violations of our nation's felony espionage laws his unlawful retention of all of those documents he stole his obstruction of justice for violating a grand jury subpoena requiring the return of all of those documents he was unlawfully retaining and espionage charges. That is quite an indictment. And now we have criminal indictment number three, not to be confused with what will soon be criminal indictment number four, right? That will be handed down by a grand jury in the state of Georgia very soon for his violation of Georgia state election laws at the moment we are on criminal indictment number three and counting so let's turn to this new indictment indictment number three in this most recent indictment Donald Trump is charged with four crimes and I'll try to steer clear of the legal ease we will try to do this in layman's terms he's charged with first conspiracy to defraud the United States what we prosecutors call a 371 conspiracy because that's the federal code section that he violated. He tried to defraud the United States and we the people out of our free and fair election. Pretty straightforward. He and his co-conspirators engaged in all sorts of improper, nefarious, illegal conduct in order to commit those crimes against the United States to defraud the United States. The second charge is another conspiracy. This one is a conspiracy to obstruct official proceedings, specifically a conspiracy to interfere in the January 6th certification of Joe Biden's election win. Now whereas the second charge is a conspiracy to obstruct the January 6th proceedings, the third count is the actual obstruction of the January 6th proceedings. Now remember you can charge a conspiracy to commit a crime and you can also charge the substantive crime itself. Let me give you a simple example. You can charge someone with conspiracy to rob a bank. If two or more people agree to rob a bank and then they take some step toward The commission of that crime maybe they get a gun to use in the bank robbery maybe they steal a car to use as the getaway vehicle but they haven't yet robbed the bank well guess what they've already committed the crime of conspiracy to rob the bank because they agreed to do it and they did one thing toward the commission of the crime what we call an overt act well if the next day they go on to rob the bank Then they can be charged with two crimes conspiracy to rob a bank and bank robbery two separate but related crimes so that's the best way i think to sort of differentiate between charge number two in donald trump's third indictment and charge number three in donald trump's third indictment so many numbers it makes us dizzy I mean, it's a whole lot of criming by Trump and company. So the third count is actually obstructing the January 6th certification of Joe Biden's win. Let's go to the fourth count. The fourth count is a conspiracy to deprive the American people of their voting rights, of the full value of our votes. Because when Donald Trump tried to steal the election, when he lied about election fraud, when he tried to get the true vote count overturned and substitute his own fake vote count, in essence, claiming that there were thousands and thousands of votes cast, fraudulent votes cast for Joe Biden. That was all a bunch of BS, but that's what he was trying to do. And when Donald Trump and his co-conspirators did that, then you know, he tried to deprive every American voter of the full value of their vote. The full value of our vote. And that is the essence of the fourth charge in the indictment. Now, naturally people want to know, in the event Donald Trump is convicted of these four crimes in his third indictment, how much time is he facing? Well, the statutory maximum if he's convicted on all four counts is 55 years in prison. Of course, Donald Trump doesn't have 55 years to do, and the statutory maximum in any case is rarely what the judge will actually impose because there are these things called the sentencing guidelines, and they end up sort of bringing the sentence well below the statutory maximum. But look, here's the thing, friends, You can only confine a man for but one life and a sentence of five years or 10 years or 20 years, frankly, could very well end up being the equivalent of a life sentence for Donald Trump, given his age. But suffice it to say, if he's convicted on these four charges, he will go to prison, in my opinion. He needs to go to prison. Right? If he's allowed to serve his sentence on some kind of home detention or house arrest, that is essentially sentencing someone to binge watch Netflix and order DoorDash. That's no kind of punishment for the crimes he committed against our democracy, against we the people. So I, for one, believe to my core Donald Trump will go to prison in the event of conviction.
0: On the way after the break, the judge presiding over Trump's election interference case is someone Glenn has met. He talks about that next on Justice Matters. Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I am loving the warmer weather and the sunnier skies. It makes you want to get out and move and get healthy. And you can help yourself get healthy and meet your wellness goals with no prep, no mess meals from Factormeals.com. There's a whole menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat or simply eat in a well-balanced way. What's my favorite? I love the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken with spicy cilantro cauliflower rice. So flavorful and healthy too. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com/glen50 and use code GLEN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's Glenn50 at Factormeals.com slash 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factormeals.com slash Glenn50. Go there. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Many people are speculating about the judge overseeing Trump's federal election tampering case. Glenn says he has personal
1: experience with her. Now, another really important development regarding Donald Trump's third criminal indictment is the judge the judge that has been assigned to preside over the case of united states of america versus donald j trump that judge is judge tanya chutkin now i know judge chutkin i tried murder cases against judge chutkin back in the day she was a public defender in the district of columbia I was an assistant United States attorney for the District of Columbia handling murder cases and we were both involved in trying homicide cases in the Superior Court of the District of Columbia. She as the defense attorney, me as the prosecutor. And friends I tried a lot of murder cases in the courts of DC both in local court and in federal court. I tried cases against lots and lots of defense attorneys, public defenders, court-appointed lawyers, paid lawyers, and sometimes I can honestly look back and say, you know, I, I really enjoyed trying that murder case against that defense attorney. Sometimes I look back and I say, well, that was not a fun experience. I really didn't enjoy handling a case against that defense attorney. We didn't get along that well. But what I can honestly say about Tanya Chutkin is I enjoyed trying murder cases against her. In my experience, in my opinion, she was a strong, smart, tactically savvy or shrewd, zealous defense attorney. And importantly, she was also honest, ethical, trustworthy. You know, I'd like to say she was a worthy adversary. Maybe I should ask, I wonder if I was a worthy adversary to her because she was a really accomplished criminal defense attorney. She represented her clients well, effectively, zealously, and with real honor and integrity. Frankly, exactly the kind of criminal defense attorneys we want, we need and exactly the kind of criminal defense attorney that defendants deserve. Well, after she spent, I believe, about a decade as a public defender, she went into private practice for a number of years and later was appointed to the bench, nearly a decade ago now, by President Barack Obama. I've also had the pleasure, more recently, of being in her courtroom, in federal court, watching her preside over criminal cases, Now, mind you, I retired from the Department of Justice in 2018, and I ended up retiring before I ever had an opportunity to have her preside over a case I was handling. So, I know her work most directly from the time we were trying cases against one another, and then more recently, as she has been handling criminal cases involving January 6th, I have been in her courtroom watching her preside. And, you know, I, I will say that in D.C. criminal justice circles, we have a saying. And I'm sure other criminal law practitioners probably have the same saying. When a judge is tough, is strong, is no nonsense, we say, whew, judge don't play. What I can tell you, my friends, is that Judge Tanya Chutkin don't play. I expect her to give Donald Trump a fair trial and an honest trial. I also expect her to give Donald Trump a speedy trial and give we the people a speedy trial and she will not play. She will not put up with Donald Trump's shenanigans or the shenanigans of his defense attorneys. You know, she won't put up with improprieties. She won't put up with delay tactics. She won't put up with histrionics you know she will be presiding over Donald Trump's trial in federal court in Washington DC and I'm going to make a prediction frankly predicting anything in criminal cases is a fool's errand so let me be foolish for a moment I believe Donald Trump's case involving his attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election will be the first case to go to trial. Now, you know, we still have Judge Aileen Cannon down in Florida, Trump-appointed judge who has already been found by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to have abused her discretion in favor of Donald Trump. I don't believe for a moment that she is going to push that case to trial in a timely manner. I just don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before and I'll go out on a limb and say I'll probably be wrong again in the future, but I do believe we will now see the first trial of a criminal former president of the United States right here in my backyard in federal court in Washington, D.C.
0: Coming up, Glenn wonders about the co-conspirators in the Trump indictment. That's on the way on Justice Matters.
1: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery.
0: The third Trump indictment for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election lists six unnamed co-conspirators. Why are they in the indictment but not charged? Here's Glenn.
1: Okay, let's shift the topic to something that I find curious and something that I am intensely interested in and that is Donald Trump's co-conspirators because there are six co-conspirators listed in Donald Trump's third criminal indictment and they're not named. The indictment does not name Donald Trump's six co-conspirators but they are identified and here is how They're identified in the indictment. Okay, this is from page three of Donald Trump's new indictment. It says, the defendant, Trump, enlisted co-conspirators to assist him in his criminal efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election and retained power. Among these co-conspirators were A, co-conspirator number one, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 reelection campaign attorneys would not pursue. Who was co conspirator number one? He's not named, but he's been identified. That would be Rudy Giuliani, one of Donald Trump's corrupt lawyers. Co conspirator number two, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement. A strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing the certification proceeding to obstruct the certification of the presidential election and co-conspirator two has not been named in the indictment but he has been identified since John Eastman one of Donald Trump's other corrupt attorneys co-conspirator number three an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud Trump privately acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nonetheless, Trump embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirator three's disinformation. In other words, her crazy theories of election fraud, yes, co-conspirator number three has been identified as Sidney Powell, another corrupt lawyer, of Donald Trump's co-conspirator number four. And let me just add my editorial comment. There is a special place in hell for this co-conspirator. He's a Justice Department official who worked on civil matters and who, with Trump, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. Who is the co conspirator who corrupted and weaponized the Justice Department as part of Donald Trump's criminal conspiracy? That would be Jeffrey Clark. Co conspirator number five, an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct. The certification proceeding that was corrupt attorney Kenneth Chesabro. And then co conspirator number six is identified as a political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. That person hasn't been definitively identified yet, at least not in media accounts or any of the reporting i've seen i've heard that it could be peter navarro it could be boris epstein it could be others but i think we will soon know who co-conspirator number six is and friends here's why this is something of a curiosity to me here's why i'm so interested in why jack smith made the tactical choice not to indict the co-conspirators but to include them in the indictment and identify them for the most part by describing who they are and the roles they played. Now let me start by saying I've handled lots of conspiracy cases and I will tell you that prosecutors almost always indict all co-conspirators together in one indictment. I mean not invariably, not 100 percent of the time, but almost always. Because frankly you only want to have to prosecute one trial. I mean, if you have 10 co-conspirators, you don't want to indict you know, 10 separate cases, one co-conspirator per case, and then have to try 10 cases with basically the same evidence of the crimes that the co-conspirators committed, right? Then you're going to spend the next years trying case after case after case after case for essentially the same crimes when you could just do it all in one fell swoop. That is the main reason that we try to put all co-conspirators in one indictment and try them all together. Makes sense, right? You know, there's actually a buzz phrase in the law, judicial economy. Prosecutors are forever saying, well, you know, well, we indicted all of these crimes and all of these defendants together in one indictment for judicial economy purposes. We don't want to inflict 10 separate trials on the court or on anybody. If we can do it, all in one fell swoop, a 10 co-defendant code trial, that makes some sense, right? Now, let me take the flip side of that coin. So whereas prosecutors are always trying to put as many crimes and as many defendants in a single indictment as we can, with some exceptions, that's called the rule of joinder, right? That dictates to prosecutors what charges and what defendants can properly be brought together, can be joined. In one indictment and which ones can't you know and sometimes we'll push the envelope and maybe you know go out on a limb and try to bring some charges in one indictment bring some defendants together in one indictment and the defense doesn't like that you know the defense attorney doesn't want his or her client in the big conspiracy indictment so if we've joined them together Sometimes the defense attorneys will file what's called a motion to sever. So prosecutors join defendants together and defense attorneys try to file motions to sever defendants out of the big conspiracy indictment. And we could probably do an hour-long team justice law school class on the principles of joinder and severance, but I am not going to inflict that on you all right now. I'm gonna wait and inflict that on my George Washington University criminal justice students in the fall. Looking forward to getting back in the classroom. But getting back to my original point, now that I've gone down that little side alley, sometimes my mental train jumps the tracks and I have to force myself to get back on topic. Usually we indict all co-conspirators in one indictment. Jack Smith didn't do that. He only indicted Donald Trump. But he said in that indictment, he said, look, everybody... Listen up, there are six co-conspirators who committed crimes with Donald Trump. Why did Jack Smith do that? Why did he put those six co-conspirators in there but not charge them? They are unindicted co-conspirators? I think I know the answer. Now I can't answer it definitively, I'm not in Jack Smith's head, I'm not on Jack Smith's team, but I, I think I know the answer. The answer is, this trial is built for speed. Given that it's a one defendant trial rather than a seven co-defendant trial, Trump and six co-conspirators, it will be much easier to select a prompt trial date because the judge will only have to contend with one defendant and one team of defense attorneys. On the scheduling front you put seven defendants in a case there's gonna be scheduling conflict after scheduling conflict after scheduling everybody's gonna say oh your honor we can't possibly find a trial date that's good for all seven defense teams until the year 2038 that's a bit of an exaggeration but just a bit And so this indictment, this case, is built for speed. And that, I believe, is part of the reason why this case will go to trial first. Also, remember his Florida case involves lots of classified documents. There are all sorts of procedures under Classified Information Protection Act, right? That takes lots of time to sort through. It can tend to bog down. The sort of pre-trial phase of the trial. Then there's the necessity of all Donald Trump's defense attorneys getting security clearances. So you know, even if it wasn't for Judge Cannon wanting to do a favor, though, for Donald Trump, there are lots of reasons why that trial might break down and bog down, and the trial date may be pushed off well into the future. But before I leave the topic of Donald Trump's six co-defendants, let me make one other prediction, and this one I'm going to bet the farm on. Well, when I say I'm going to bet the farm, I'm not a high roller, not a gambling man, my betting limit is $1, so I'm going to bet a buck that we will soon see more indictments drop for those six co-defendants. Who are identified in substance in Trump's third criminal indictment because friends the last thing Jack Smith or any prosecutor would ever do in my opinion is announce to the world in a public indictment that these six people are Donald Trump's co-conspirators they conspired with Donald Trump to commit some of the most egregious crimes in our nation's history to try to overthrow the expressed will of the American voters, to try to steal a presidential election, to try to keep a president in power unlawfully and unconstitutionally. No prosecutor is going to put that in a public indictment and then say, but you know what? I'm not going to try to hold those six co-conspirators accountable. I'm not going to indict them. Just going to use them as window dressing in Trump's indictment. Friends, that ain't gonna happen. They are going to be indicted and stay tuned because it's not only them. You know I predict there will be more people indicted than in Watergate. Remember there were 48 people charged and convicted behind the Watergate scandal and frankly That was a quaint little series of crimes as compared to what Trump and his co-conspirators did to us. Watergate? Yeah, it was like shoplifting as compared to Donald Trump's mass murder, figuratively speaking. His January 6th crimes as assisted by his six co-conspirators.
0: After the break, Glenn discusses whether Trump's election interference trial should be televised. This is Justice Matters.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: Democrats and Republicans, including Trump's attorneys, are asking for the federal election tampering trial to be televised. How will this help the country? Here's Glenn.
1: Okay, now let's talk about something that could not be more important to the health of our democracy at this unique moment in time, in our nation's history. And that is the need to televise the Trump trials. This is where we cue the Trump trials theme music. Okay, we need to see Donald Trump tried for his crimes. We need to drag the federal judiciary into the modern era and allow the public to see the evidence that will be laid out in court showing, indeed proving, that Donald Trump committed crimes against the American people and against our democracy. Heck, state courts, many of them allow cameras in the courtroom but federal courts don't. That's absurd. Friends, think about the dynamics if we do not allow cameras in the courtroom, if we're not allowed to watch and to hear in real time the evidence against Donald Trump. This case, the January 6 case, will be fought in two places. It will be fought in the court of public opinion and it will be fought in a court of law. If there are no cameras in the courtroom, it will not be a fair fight in the court of public opinion. You might say, well, you know, Glenn, this is not really about the court of public opinion. It's about a court of law, right? This is about presenting the evidence to 12 citizens in a jury box, sitting as the conscience of the community, right? And having the case tried to a, a reliable verdict, a reliable result, guilty or not guilty, why should we concern ourselves with the fight in the court of public opinion? Well, here's why, friends. Think about the dynamics if there are no cameras in the courtroom. At the end of every trial day, Donald Trump and or his defense attorneys and or his lackeys and sycophants both in and out of Congress will probably say all kinds of things about what happened in court that day. And what a resounding win it all was for Donald Trump, right? His lawyers will come out and say how the government's evidence is falling apart. It's crumbling, you know, how the proceedings themselves in court every day are proving that this entire endeavor is a witch hunt, a political vendetta, nothing more than election interference at the end of every court day. That's what we'll hear from Team Trump. And you know what we'll hear from Jack Smith and his federal prosecutors at the end of every court day? We will hear precisely nothing. They will say nothing because they have a responsibility to say nothing, to avoid poisoning the jury. So the jury can make its decision based only on the evidence they hear in court, not on the statements that prosecutors make outside the courtroom. And you know what'll happen when Jack Smith and his team of federal prosecutors say nothing at the end of every trial day, but the defense attorneys and Donald Trump and his lackeys and flunkies and sycophants talk about what went on in court that day, falsely, misleadingly. Fox News and the other faux news networks will pick up everything that is said by Trump and his defense attorneys about what happened in court that day and how it's proving that this whole thing is a witch hunt and they will insert it into the ears and directly into the unthinking heads of their viewers. Not that all of their viewers are unthinking but it seems like plenty of them either can't or won't distinguish between fact and fiction, between truth and lies, and that one-sided fight of what's going on in court will create the reality as far as half the public is concerned, right? Certainly the half that watches faux news networks, and it will not be a fair fight in the court of public opinion, and In a very real sense, this case will be fought in part in the court of public opinion, certainly as far as the voters are concerned. It will not be a fair fight in the court of public opinion, but if the proceedings are televised, first of all, I predict people will be riveted. The way we were riveted during the OJ trial, the way we were riveted during the Rittenhouse trial, the way we were riveted during the Derek Chauvin trial for the cold-blooded execution of George Floyd and sadly for the way people are so often riveted by celebrity trials, people will be riveted to the Trump trials. And they should be because after all, he kind of attempted to bring an end to our American experiment, right? tried to end our democracy, tried to convert us to a dictatorship. So yes, people will be riveted and it will make it harder for the faux news networks to lie about what happened in court and to just regurgitate whatever Trump and his lawyers and his lackeys and his flunkies say about the day's court proceedings. It will make it much harder for the faux news networks to deceive their viewers. They'll still try. Goodness knows they're not above lies and disinformation and propaganda, not to mention defamation, which we've seen before. So they'll still try. But if the trials are televised, they will be less successful in the lies they offer to the American people about what's going on in court and then I think the fight in the court of public opinion will be a more fair fight rather than a one-sided affair that provides the American people nothing but propaganda about what's going on in court so yes we need cameras in the courtroom the American people deserve cameras in the courtroom the results of the Trump trials have a far greater chance of being viewed as legitimate and reliable by the masses if the masses get to watch it for themselves and reach their own conclusions about trump's guilt or innocence unfiltered because let me tell you friends when jack smith's team starts presenting the mountains and i mean mountains of incriminating evidence against donald trump it will be spectacular You know, I have the good fortune to know a number of the prosecutors on Jack Smith's team because I worked with some of them. I supervised some of them when I was chief of the homicide section at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, and they are some of the best prosecutors our nation has to offer. So at the end of the day, Donald Trump will be held accountable in a court of law, And cameras in the courtroom will also help ensure he'll be held accountable in the court of public opinion and frankly when the November 2024 election rolls round the results in the court of public opinion might end up being far more important than the result in a court of law because one thing is for sure when the American voters go to the polls in November 2024 assuming Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. The American voters have every right to know whether the person they're casting their vote for is a convicted felon or a completely exonerated defendant who was found not guilty on all counts because he did nothing wrong. Cameras in the courtroom are the only way, the only way, the American people will have the information necessary To make the decision for themselves about what the evidence proved regarding Donald Trump's crimes. So, hopefully, friends, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, will do the right thing by the American people, the fair thing, the transparent thing, the honorable thing, and he'll allow cameras in the courtroom because ultimately he is the head of what's called the U.S. Judicial Conference and ultimately. It basically boils down to his call. Will he deprive the American people of the right to see the evidence with their own eyes and assess it for themselves? Will he insist that it be filtered through faux news organizations and legitimate news organizations, all of which will be reporting what went on in court? You know, I would go so far as to say that if Chief Justice Roberts refuses to allow the Trump trials to be televised, he will be doing an enormous favor, though, for Donald Trump. He will be setting up circumstances where the faux news networks get to continue to lie to their viewers and filter what happens in court through Donald Trump and his defense attorneys and those faux news networks. So yes, that will be John Roberts handing Donald Trump an enormous win, an enormous benefit. Because as of right now, I was in that courtroom, and I can tell you, you know, only about 50 people or so will get to watch this trial if there are no cameras in the courtroom. And that's just plain stupid. Completely and utterly stupid. Criminal trials are public events. They are public proceedings by law. Criminal trials must be open to the public. And we're going to say the public should be limited in its capacity to see a former president of the United States being tried just based on how many seats are in one room? Come on. Again, that's plain stupid. Put cameras in the courtroom. Let the people see the evidence of what Donald Trump did. Let them make up their own minds. The people were the victims of Donald Trump's crimes on and around. January 6th, they deserve a seat at the table. So friends, call, write, text your elected representatives. Tell them to put on whatever pressure they can to support televising the Trump trials. Televise the Trump trials. Okay friends, let me finish up with just a little bit of what I saw at the arraignment hearing in Donald Trump's new federal criminal case. Arraignment proceedings are pretty short affairs, they're pretty standard affairs and and this one was pretty short and pretty standard except it was the 45th president of the united states who was being arraigned on four criminal counts that involved his attempted overthrow of our democracy not entirely ordinary and the judge kind of went through The standard litany of questions and admonitions, setting dates for things to be filed. She arraigned him on the four counts, which is just formally putting Trump on notice of the four charges that he's been indicted on, the maximum punishments totaling 55 years in prison, admonishing him not to commit any crimes while on release admonishing him not to tamper with any witnesses or you know uh, poison the well of any future juries that might be picked we'll see if he abides by those admonitions and then she said something she being the magistrate judge it wasn't judge Tanya Chutkin it was a magistrate judge magistrate judges generally preside over these preliminary hearings, these preliminary proceedings, like arraignments, and then the case goes to the permanently assigned judge. But Judge Chutkin, the specter of Judge Chutkin, sort of hung over these proceedings. And here's why I say that, and I'm going to end with this, friends. So at an arraignment hearing, the first hearing in a federal criminal case after someone has been indicted, Generally what happens after the defendant has been arraigned on the charges, informed of the charges, after he enters a plea of not guilty, after he's told that you know here are the conditions of your release, then generally what happens is the magistrate judge will say, okay, I'm gonna set a status hearing about 30 days down the road, and I'm gonna ask you all to bring your trial calendars to that status hearing, and we'll start to discuss possible trial dates, And then the Magistrate Judge will set a date 30 days down the road and everybody will be dismissed. The hearing will conclude. Not this time. This time the Magistrate Judge said, I have been directed by Judge Tanya Chutkin, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have a transcript in front of me, that within seven days the prosecutors will file a brief with the court, setting out their proposed trial date, and how long they believe their case in chief, the prosecutor's presentation of the evidence, will take. Seven days thereafter, the defense will file a brief with the court, setting out their proposed trial date, and approximately how long the defense case, the defense presentation of the evidence might take. And then, Judge Chutkin will see you all for the first status hearing in this case on August 28th, at which time she will set a trial date. Well, that seemed to make the defense attorney's heads explode. Because one of Donald Trump's criminal defense attorneys, a guy named John Lauro, started to complain and whine and assert Judge, we we can't possibly, we can't possibly offer a proposed trial date. We don't know how much discovery, how much evidence or information the government will provide to us. So we can't possibly give you a proposed trial date. He made that argument three different times in three different ways. And each time the magistrate judge said, uh, yes, as I said, Seven days after the government, the prosecution files its proposed trial date. You will file your proposed trial date. And then on August 28th, Judge Chutkin will be setting a trial date. That's unusual. Not surprising because I know Judge Chutkin. She don't play. But it is unusual. So I take from that data point and lots of other data points that we are going to see a prompt trial, a speedy trial. We're going to see a trial without unnecessary delay. If I had to guess, friends, I would say Judge Chutkin is likely to set a trial date in January or February. About six months down the road, and six months, believe me, gives the defense plenty of time to prepare their defense. They'll claim it doesn't, I believe Judge Chutkin will conclude it does. Now, I don't know if it's going to be January or February, but let's talk about some of the other trials that are swirling around Donald Trump. We already know that the Trump-appointed Judge Aileen Cannon down in Florida set a late May trial date, so January, February certainly doesn't interfere with that. We know that Alvin Bragg, the district attorney in New York, who has Donald Trump's You know, business, false business records, crimes covering up his hush money payments. That trial is set for March, but Alvin Bragg has already said he's willing to have his trial take a back seat to the federal prosecution, so that March trial date will likely evaporate or be continued. That's not an impediment. We also know that there is a second civil trial set for January in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. But I can promise you, civil trials always take a back seat. In fact, they're ordinarily not even in the same car. There are three cars behind a federal criminal prosecution. So I don't think that will be an impediment. So with the decks cleared of all those other trials, hold on tight, friends. I think we're going to get us a speedy trial in the case involving Donald Trump's attempts to end our democracy to deprive the voters of you know their presidential preference person they cast their ballots for we're going to get a speedy trial and Donald Trump's going to be held accountable Donald Trump's going to go to prison in my opinion frankly all because justice matters friends, as always, please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon.
0: For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner, 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.